Does it seem like most podcasts are speaking a foreign language? We deliver your podcast straight to you in a language you can understand. Well, I'll drink to that. What did you say? It's what you want. with my co-host, my tag team partner. You've heard his voice on this wrestling shootout. He is the wrestling encyclopedia of CSRA and soon to be the world because nobody can stop this man. I give you the one and only survivor of pain, Bill Blanchard. Hey, brother, welcome back to the show. Well, hey, man, thanks for having me. I appreciate the intro. Um, yeah, it's, it's an honor to be back on WOW and talk about the great days of professional wrestling. and. I, I tell you, man, we've had we've had we had a rough patch here for a little while with COVID nineteen and all the other craziness going on in the world. But we had some severe family uh, emergencies on both our ends, and you know we just couldn't seem to seem to get on the same page. But here we are, we're back on the road again. I hope we can stay on this path, and let's get we got we got so many things to talk about, man. So many things professional wrestling to go over, and man, I'm just excited to be here, man. I'm fired up, and let's do this. Oh, without a doubt, brother. And honestly, hey, if you haven't done yourself a favor, please go to iHeartRadio, Spotify, or even YouTube or on Facebook. Go to WLW We Love Wrestling. Click the like and the follow button, and you'll stay abreast on what's going on with us. Now, if do yourself another favor. While you're there, check out our very first episode of Every Man for Himself, where we cover anything Royal Rumble. Yeah, that was a great episode, and we're going to kick the tires and light the fires on our second ever episode with the title, Spartacus and Polka Dots. But we can't move forward with that without being able to talk about what happened during our time break here. We've had been dealt a heavy blow here in the wrestling community. We lost not one, not two, but three. Might as well go ahead and say it, legends in this business. The very first one I want to talk about is probably the very first announcer that I actually remember the name of, and that is Howard Finkel. You know, because I, I remember him from Madison Square Garden, being able to watch him 
on Saturday mornings calling the great action that would happen there. Brother, what are some of your thoughts about Howard Finkel? Man, where do I begin? You know, you think about Howard Finkel. Um, it was reported that he's actually the longest employee of the WWE. You know, the Fink Howard Finkel started his career in January 17, 1977 at Madison Square Garden for the Worldwide Wrestling Federation, and he became the lead ring announcer for some of the biggest events. He also became the employee of who became official WWF, or now known as WWE, which was April 1st in 1980. Some of Howard Finkel's career, just, you know, so many people may not understand this, you know. Howard Finkel was the guy who came up with the name WrestleMania. Can you imagine that? What a legacy WrestleMania had to this day. Became the Super Bowl, the World Series, the Stanley Cup of professional wrestling. And Howard Finkel was that guy who created that name. You know, even Ricky the Dragon's name. He came up with the Dragon's nickname. You know, when I think of Howard Finkel, you know, he had a very, very unique style. Very, very, very different from other ring and Michael Buffer, Gary Michael competitor. You know, Finkel, just, I don't know, man. It's just, he tried to make every match special. And he treated everyone equal, whether it's heel or faces, you know. But I, I go from memories when it's Howard Finkel just scream, and no, Intercontinental Champion, right when Warrior lost at WrestleMania 5. It's one of my favorite moments funny moments in my opinion but i remember one time on the ws superstars of wrestling you talk about everyone's got a price for the million dollar man <laughs> well even howard finkel had a price for the million dollar man where he paid howard finkel off to step aside so he can ring announce the mr perfect Kurt henning rematch against the texas tornado where the million dollar man helped um, mr perfect regain his title all that took place because he paid Howard Finkel off, and I thought that was pretty uh, pretty hilarious, you know. But Howard Finkel had a long, long-running career as one of the lead, lead announcers. And I put him right there with Mean Gene Oakland, man. Howard Finkel was, was, was a tremendous uh, entertainer, tremendous performer. I mean, hell, dude. Think about what happened at WrestleMania 10 when he shoved me. Got face on the freaking mat, you know Harvey Wimpleman, <laughs> and they had a and they had a tuxedo <laughs> match. Oh my god! Oh. Uh, losing, losing, losing Howard Finkel's tremendous blow to the world of professional wrestling. He'd be greatly, greatly missed. But you know, I, I, and if he's up there in the big big wrestling ring in the sky, and he's looking down on us. Hey, Howard, thank you for my childhood. Thank you for my adulthood. Thank you for everything you've meant to professional wrestling. I hope I hope we're going to dig it proud tonight, brother. Thank you. Yeah, brother. And sadly, this was more of a tragedy, but a hero was born out of this. Uh, I'm talking about one half of crime time. And there was rumors that these guys were getting ready to sign another deal to come in and wrestle for the WWE. And I'm talking about Chad Gaspard, um, which... If you paid attention to the news or anything like that, this man sacrificed his life to save his child, which I know being a father and everything, I would have done the same thing. But let's face it, not everybody out there is like you, me, and Chad Gaspar. But it's a tragedy, but that man died a hero and very much deserves a Hall of Fame, even if it's nothing more than the warrior award, you know? Um, but 
brother. I mean, he, him and his bar- partner, JTG, um, pretty much tore up the WWE when they came in as crime time. And they try to make these guys heels, but the more they try to make them do the bad stuff and everything like that, the more the crowd cheered for them. It's kind of like an Eddie Guerrero-esque, where, yeah, you know this guy lies, cheats, and steals, but everybody loves him. And that's the way it took a crime time, you know? And when I thought for sure when they hooked up with John Cena that that was going to be the proverbial chain gang that John Cena was referring to back in the day, you know, just outside of his uh, Thug John Cena, you know, when he first became the WWE champion. And it was just such a tragedy. But my thoughts and prayers are with him and his, uh, with his wife and child. And, you know, I hope, hope they're able to find comfort. What say you, brother? I know you got some some memory. Of yeah, he, 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 Well, I think some of the funniest memories I've had with guys in crime time was just how uh, DX went to go see them by scaffolding and tickets. You know, and I thought that was funny. And I remember the whole dancing prom. Money, money, yeah, yeah. And some things about that were funny. But these guys were tremendous performers, tremendous entertainers in the ring. But what he did was extreme heroic. He sacrificed his life for his son so his son would live. And, you know, I just really wish people would get behind our heroes and like that instead of glorifying the criminals like they do nowadays. It's just, it's just such a sad way society is right now. I mean, yeah, this man was a statue in the WWE because, like you said earlier, not a lot of people would would be selfishly low and think about themselves. I mean, and then if you don't know what I'm talking about is, you know, think about women who just toss their babies in a garbage can and go back and go dance at their prom. I mean, I've, I mean, I've seen stories about people killing their children and drowning their children because they're only thinking about themselves and think about their children. And you know, when this man's life was on the line, and when the current came, when the life was coming, he threw his son out to them and said, no, save my son first. And then they get the kid back and they come out and they couldn't get him. But, you know, he, he could have... You know, thought of himself, but no, he thought about his son, and that's what a father's supposed to do. You think about the children's first man, and to me, that would be his legacy in life. He would go down as a hero, a man who put his child's life first before he put his own. And you know, my heart goes out to him, him and his family, and I pray for his son. And you know, it's just it's, it's just a tragedy, but at the same time, the man died a hero, the man dies a father protecting his son's life, and you know, his life should be celebrated. You're absolutely right about that. God bless him. God bless his family. And the third loss that we had in our wrestling community is a very, very big-time legend in this business. Um, A lot of my parents' generation would talk about this guy. I'm talking about Mr. Wrestling number two Um, with the golden knee left. I mean, this man was, I think, ahead of his time. But he he did very did wonders. I mean, that still last to this day as far as movesets or even mannerisms or what have you. I mean, this this man's pretty much done everything. You know, um, I'm going to let my wrestling encyclopedia have it because I'm pretty sure he has a better knowledge of Mr. Wrestling 2 than I do. 
Yeah, man, Mr. Wrestling number two, we all know him as John Francis Walker. He was born September 10, 1934 in Charleston, South Carolina, which we recently lost him on June 10th, 2020. But he was an American professional wrestler. You know, he was Mr. Wrestling too. You know, he made a lot of appearances in, in uh, championship wrestling for Florida, championship Georgia championship wrestling in the 1970s, or early 1980s, you know. I mean, he was a tremendous wrestler, tremendous, uh, you know, it, Sometimes he was known as the grappler, you know, Johnny Walker, Mr. Russell was wrestling too. He, you know, he had a lot of different kind of gimmicks, but, you know, he was built to six foot, you know, he's 247 pounds. And, you know, he was billed like he was from Atlanta, Georgia. That's where he kind of resided from. But, you know, one thing I didn't know about Mr. Russell too, doing my research, you know, he was trained not only by Tony Morelli, but also a former NWA world champion, very famously. Pat O'Connor. You know, he debuted in professional wrestling in 1955 and retired in 2007. You know, um, I, I like, me and you were on the phone and we were talking about this here about what situation with the president. And I, I like to read what my research says. You know, Jimmy Carter, which is the governor of Georgia and the late president of the United States, uh, during during Mr. Wrestling 2's 1970s heyday, considered to be his favorite wrestler. You know, and also Jimmy Carter's my mother's favorite wrestler as well. Well, he got invited to Carter's inauguration, but uh, when, when he became president, he invited him to his inauguration. You know, when he was sworn as president, but Mr. Wrestling 2 declined the invitation because the United States Secret Services insisted that Walker appeared unmasked for security reasons. But due to its popularity at the time, under the mask, it couldn't justify the possible ramifications of his identity being exposed. So Mr. Wrestling 2 did, however, several occasions enjoy a private audience with you know, Lillian Carter. But, but to me, that says something. You've been invited to the presidency, but you turned it down because you were still trying to keep kayfabe. You didn't want to you know, risk exposing the business. You didn't want to take your mask off and feel who you really were and fear what would happen. You know, so uh, that, to me, that says something about how much he loved this sport and how much he respected professional wrestling. So, you know, I think that's I think that's pretty, pretty cool, man. Also, um, but you know, as far as championship wise, like I said, man, Mr. Wrestling Number Two was the uh, <laughs> big time in championship wrestling and TV. He was the NWA Florida Heavyweight Champion on two occasions, the NWA Florida Tag Team Champions on two times. You know, the NWA Southern Heavyweight Champions one time. He was the Continental Wrestling Champion and NWA Alabama Heavyweight Champion. As you can tell, there are a lot of different versions of the NWA title, which we will talk about one day, I'm sure. But, you know, he's, he's had so many other big championship wins. But, you know, Mr. Wrestling number two, I think he went into the National Wrestling Alliance Hall of Fame class of 2012. And, you know, me personally, you know, Miss Wrestling number two, he was a big generation in my parents' eyes as well. And I mean, what a legacy you've had with the NWA in Georgia and Florida Championship Wrestling. You'll be great and greatly missed. And we appreciate everything you've done with professional wrestling and paving the road for guys like Christian Fury, the survivor of pain, continue our wrestling legacy. Thank you. Yeah, brother. I mean, that's the best we are going to be able to do. I know there's a lot more history that we can cover with all three of these gentlemen, but we don't have that kind of time. And that can span, Lord, hours and hours, especially with Mr. Wrestling number two. But we're going to take a short pause. 
but not before I tell you about our sponsor, our very first sponsor right here in WLW, Big Bo's Barbecue. <clears throat> if you want some good barbecue, ladies and gentlemen, please feel free to go to his place of business. He'll be open on Fridays at 4387 Ridge Trail Road in Martinez, Georgia, and let him know that Christian Fury and Survivor Pain with WLW sent you. And we'll be back right after these messages with TMB Studios. Hey folks, it's me, Caleb Stovall here, and I am not here to talk about wrestling. I am here to talk to you about my brand new podcast called Power Rangers Go. That's right, it's going to be all about the Mighty Morphin Power Rangers. And not just Mighty Morphin, but all Power Rangers. We're going to go through the entire Power Rangers universe. And by we, I'm going to be joined by my co-host each and every single week, the ace of everything superhero homie Q, Quentin Ficklin, will join me right here to discuss everything Power Rangers right here exclusively on TMB Studios. I can't wait. And may the power protect you all. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen. This is WOW, and I am your host, Christian Fury, a.k.a. Jay Garganus. And today I have with me, as always, my co-host, my partner in crime, the survivor of pain, Bill Blanchard. I'd like to welcome you back. Um, thank you for listening about our sponsors. We're going to get into this, Spartacus and Polka Dots. So, on this particular episode, we're going to break down why it's called Spartacus and Polka Dots. So, Bill, would you like to give a little bit of backstory to uh, uh, the polka dots? Well, like I said, that's why we're all here. You know, the whole thing with the polka dots. We all heard the rumored indie window out there about, you know, the box of gimmicks is to be by her. Now, something to wrestle with, with Bruce Pritchard and Conrad Thompson. But, you know, Dusty Rose was, was going to be placed on polka dots. You know, Tony Schiavone would go on record and say, is able to make fun of Dusty Rose. Of course, Bruce Pritchard would say that's just totally wrong. We're not. We don't make fun of whatever Bruce. And you know that being said, you know, like I say, you know, Dusty Rose is a three-time NWA World Champion, a very, very big established talent, but he was also the booker, you know, of the Crockett promotions, and he was you know, one of the ones I was leading the charge against the WWF for his class. Four. So when the Crockett sold to Ted Turner, Dusty Rhodes joined the WWF in 1989. And, but they wanted to put polka dots on him, you know. But uh, I, I will say this about Dusty Rhodes. He definitely got it over. You know, he wasn't really a booker. He wasn't really doing anything. He just went out there and just tried to get the, his character over. And I think he did a tremendous job with it. Where they were trying to make, in my opinion, they got something out of it. Because Dusty Rhodes, you know, he got a chance to work with some Hall of Fame talent. You know, his first big major program, he got to work with one of the greatest Intercontinental Champions of all time. To this day, still is the longest reigning Intercontinental Champion of all time. I'm talking about the Honky Tonk Man. Just rose around and worked with a guy he helped create in Georgia Championship Wrestling, my Big Bubba Rogers, who was known as the Big Boss Man at the time. 
had a tremendous feud with the Big Boss Man. Then they turned right around and stepped in the ring with the former World Wrestling Federation champion and Intercontinental champion, the Macho Man. And at the time, was known as the Macho King. Yeah, dig it. In a tremendous matchup at WrestleMania 6, Dusty Rose teaming with Sweet Sapphire with Miss Elizabeth in their corner against the Macho King and Queen Sherry. Very, very big matchup for WrestleMania 6. You know, because if you think about it, though, at one point, you know, there were rivals of rival promotions, and it was a true match to see Dusty and Savage, you know, face each other off. But then when I was all said and done, Dusty Rose got the chance to work with another legend from Mid South and becoming a legend in the World Wrestling Federation, the million dollar man, Ted DiBiase. So, so the dream was working with some big, big names. And, you know, because I've heard some people would say things like, well, why didn't Dusty Rose ever get a shot for Hulk Hogan for the, the World Wrestling Federation Championship? But, well, I mean, Dusty Rose came in as a face, guys. You know, Vince was not big on having face work face. So, you know, him being a face, he worked with some other good heels. And that's a tremendous match, man. I think Dusty Rhodes, although he only had about a two-year run in the WWF, I think he had a great run, considering the talent he has to work with. You know? So, if they were trying to make fun with the polka dots, if you would, and, yeah, he was funny to look at. I mean, it ain't the Dusty Rhodes you remember seeing in the NWA, but he got it over because the crowd was still into it. He was dancing. He was rhyming. He was rapping and still having tremendous matches with some of the best talents in the world at that time in 1989 and 1990. But Dusty Rhodes would leave the WWF in the 1991. And this thing you know from the, from the Warrior Rumble, him and the son Dustin Rhodes loses a match to Ted DiBiase and Virgil. And the next time you will see Dustin Rhodes, he's commentating with Jim Ross about a week later at the Clash of Champions, Dixie Dynamite, you know. Pretty cool of y'all. I mean, pretty cool head all kind of went, you know. But uh, we've had some other gimmicks that they tried and I thought kind of got over as well. But, you know, but what, what are your thoughts, though, man? With Dusty Rhodes, with the yellow polka dots, we was watching wrestling back then. What did you really think? <laughs> well, back then, this, keep in mind, this is the first time I probably had an opportunity to really pay attention to Dusty Rhodes. So my first real teeth being sunk into the dusty roads was him wearing the polka dots. So I didn't think anything different, didn't anything different. You know, it wasn't until I started growing up and started watching things from the NWA that like, holy cow, you know, this guy feuded with Ric Flair was the NWA world heavyweight champion. I mean, you name it, but had historic feuds with the four horsemen. Um, freaking, um, I'm just going back to a video uh, with um, Dusty Rose that WWE put out not too long ago. Well, probably about a decade or so ago now, but um, it's not too long ago for us. It seemed like it just came out, but I remember him saying something to the effect that he wasn't exactly necessarily happy with his gimmick, and he wanted to go talk to Vince about it. But somehow by the time the end of the meeting he was convinced and he was happy to be doing the polka dot. Vince just had a way of talking to people and talking to them and doing things they didn't initially want to do in the first place. And um, and I think that phrase that was used was, if anybody can get it over, it's you, Dusty. And for some reason, that sold him. That sold him to don the polka dots and that sold him to go out there and juke and jive and, hey, let's face it, it actually worked. It's the entertainment side of it. You know, the fans enjoyed it. I think he well, was I mean, able to enjoy it. 
I mean, I thoroughly enjoyed it. Like I said, I was I was really into his matches that he had. You know, like I said, I mean, I, I thought Dutch Rhodes and Big Boss Man was a hellacious feud. I really enjoyed the match they had at the Survivor Series '89. You know, the Dream Team versus the Enforcers. You know, and and I never really thought about it as a kid growing up. But if you look at that kind of match, I mean, you got the American Dream, Dutch Rhodes, and Polkadots. Yeah, what is the Barber Beefcake? Right. You got a man dressed like a red rooster, Terry Taylor. We'll talk about him just a second. And then you had Tito Santana. You know, interesting gimmicks, right? But look at the guys that are facing. You have a guy who is the big boss man dressed in a corrections uniform. Okay. Then you have a guy who dresses like a model, you know, like a JC Penny model, modeling and stuff, arguing his fragrance and arrogance. I'm talking about the model Rick Martell. And then you got Elvis impersonator. <laughs> oh, man. And you got a man from the streets of Harlem, New York, Bad News Brown. Just think about what I just said right there, the type of gimmicks they had. It had to look silly to some of the older audience, but I know at the time they were trying to attract a younger audience, and it just never clicked in me in my mind as a kid. I'm just thinking, I'm seeing rushes, I'm seeing fighters, I'm seeing competitors, but you look, you take a step, you take a step back and, and you look at from mature kind of eyes. I mean, what kind of crap are we looking at here? <laughs> And I hate saying that because when I was a kid, that was one of my favorite Survivor Series matches of all time. I don't know if you knew that or not, but that was one of my favorite Survivor Series styles because it was it was a tremendous fight, tremendous battle. I loved every second of it from the beginning to the end, you know. But there's just some of the gimmicks they had back then, you know. It's like you know when you talk about Rick Martel, okay, we all know he was a former AWA champion. You know, when he was signed with Tito, they were they were robust federation tag team champions, but wasn't quite quite getting over. So they were trying to do something for Martel to, to kind of help him get over it to create this model gimmick, and then it's just like, okay, is it going to work or is it going to fail? I mean, uh, that's up for debate. To Terry, to the other side, I think, at Terry Taylor, the Red Rooster gimmick, I mean, that, no, that did not work at all, in my opinion. I mean, granted, well, maybe then again it did. Maybe it did work because it seemed like people remember Terry Taylor as the Red Rooster, not as the Taylor Made Man or Terrence Taylor or even just Terry Taylor in WCW. I mean, people would look at Taylor to go, ur, ur, ur. but Taylor hated that damn gimmick. And he goes on a, on a shoot interview and tells stories about how it was a box of gimmicks and how he almost. Mr. Perfect name. He draws Red Rooster. Kurt Henning draws Mr. Perfect, you know, because, you know, Bruce Pritchard denies all that. So that never happened. There's no such thing as a box of gimmicks. But come on, man. It, it just seemed like this time, you guys are coming up with some outrageous, funny kind of gimmicks. I mean, in my, in my opinion, the box of gimmicks could be true. I don't know. I like to believe that it does. It just makes it more funnier. But, you know, we're talking about a Red Rooster. Like, like Dustin Rose was able to get the polka dots over. But what, in your opinion, man, why do you think Terry Taylor could not get the Red Rooster over? You think because his heart wasn't in it, or you know, I don't know. I mean, I, I don't know. What do you think? Well, I mean, we're going to save this for later in the show, but I'll go ahead and give my two or three or four cents on Terry Taylor and the Red Rooster. Um, well, you don't, honestly, you don't freaking email me no freaking time frame or section. She, I don't know where the side of the show was. He said we're running with this thing, punk. Terry Taylor, the Red Rooster. <laughs> Don't hold that. We're going to be at the show. Okay. okay. We'll save the Red Rooster for the main event, folks. 
What's your thoughts on the model Rick Martel then? Well, let's just say um, Rick Martel, the model, he tried. I, I mean, yeah, I hated his arrogant ass. I mean, growing up, but at the same time, did did it reach its full potential? Probably not. Um. Because there's other guys on the card that had the better gimmicks or was able to get more either the heat or the crowd face pop um, than he was. But, yeah, he came off as arrogant smug. And, and, and in my opinion, if there if there never was a Rick, the model Martell or the model Rick Martell, we wouldn't have had that playboy Shawn Michaels, the, the, the boy toy, the heartbreak kid when he flipped from being a tag team specialist with the Rockers to being a solo act. I don't think without the model, we wouldn't have had Shawn Michaels and, and take what worked with Rick and didn't work with Rick and push it forward. You know, that's my honest opinion on it. If we didn't have the model, uh, I'm gonna, we would have had a heartbreak kid. Well, I'm going to disagree with you on No, I, I think the model gimmick had absolutely nothing to do with how the Heartbreak Kid, Shawn Michaels. In my opinion, the Heartbreak Kid was Michael Hickenberg. I think that was his actual personality at the time. Eric had obnoxious and cocky and you know, he thought he was a guy's gift on women. Pain he has to work with. You know, I'm talking about earlier days of Shawn Michaels. I don't mean the, the, the born-again Christian Shawn Michaels. I mean, I, I, I don't know. You know, Not the second run. To me, the model, to me, the model Rick Martell was just simple. You know, they had to come up with something for him. What he was doing before wasn't really working. So you're trying to make him as a heel. You're trying to find a way to get heat, you know. So, you know, if you're a fan watching, you know, you want to boo somebody. You know, you look at someone, you know, who had the kind of look, who had a kind of month look, who thought you were better than, you know, this guy thinks he's better than everybody else. And you look at a guy kind of envious in a way. You know, you want to just hit that smug look off his face. And I think that's what got us over as a heel. You know, but, you know, I will say this real quick about Rick Martell. I really did enjoy um, the feud he had uh, a couple of years after he became the model. That long feud he had with Jake the Snake Robbins, you know, going back to that blindfold match. Silly gimmick match. I get it. But, you know what, though? It is what it is. I, I thought the storyline, I was into the storyline between Jake Snake and Rick Martell's. I thought Martell was an okay heel. I really felt like he should have got an opportunity to run as the Intercontinental Champion as a heel. I think he could have done just as good a job as Mr. Perfect was as a heel intercontinental champion, but, but it just wasn't in the cards for him. But that being said, though, Rick Martell's a tremendous athlete, though. But, you know, what, what's some other gimmicks? I know you were you said you want to save Red Rose for later on, so I guess he's our main event. You know, but what other gimmicks that that well, guy that's over, that's supposed to be he, 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 outrageously? So we're going to use polka dots. On the what? That's on the what? Ed Brewster was going to be on the Spartacus side of things. I didn't so, agree with that. I felt like I felt like the like Spartacus. I thought we were doing like, like polka dots. It was like how this man can prove I can get in a stupid gimmick over, which some didn't get over. Versus Jim Hurd's idea of the Hunchbacks and Ric Flair, and I thought I thought that's what we were going with. Well, you see, our communication works, folks. Yeah, <laughs> I know, right? <laughs> anyway. <laughs> So, some gimmicks that work, that flip-flopped and actually worked. Vince did the all tree with He thought it was supposed to be like, let's go to the polka dots. Exactly. 
So you take a guy that's established, you transfer him, whether it be on the same promotion or or on a different promotion, you change their gimmick up, and they still become a success. So we already have okay. Dusty Rhodes. Well, how about the Million Dollar Man? You know, he was a good, uh, good heel in Mid South. You know, he was promised the NWA Championship. He was going to try to join the Crockett's. He was going to be the one to take Ric Flair's spot, if you would, in 1988, but or 1887, I should say. But they offered uh, Vincent Mann created a gimmick and wanted to take DiBiase to join. DiBiase had to think he didn't know what the gimmick was. He had to sign first, you know, so he had to put his trust in Vincent. And Vince put all of his heart and soul and a lot of money to making this gimmick get over. You know, with Ted DiBiase, I think I think that's a good uh, good example. Which I mean, I mean, come on, I got to see. I made that man coming out there with money, he's gonna try to pay people off, and yeah, yeah, gotta. I mean, I could see how it would fail at the same time, but if you get the right person, you know what I mean. And I think Ted DiBiase was the right person. But do you even know Rick Flair was even considered that position as well when Flair was in negotiations back in '88? You know, there were talks that Rick Flair could have been the million dollar man. That could have been his gimmick too in the WF. If Rick Flair had left the Crockett's and come to the WF, they were they were thinking about making that gimmick for Rick. But instead, they uh, when Rick Flair did decide to resound with the Crockett's, they went after Ted DiBiase. I don't know if you knew that or not. I found that out when I was doing my research. No, oh, I mean, of course we say this now because Rick Flair, the Nature Boy, Rick Flair is a household name to this day. And I couldn't picture him being anything else other than the Nature Boy Ric Flair. But well, think about it, though. Hold on, hold on. Think about Ric Flair was already uh, talking about being the kid stealing, wheeling, dealing southern guns, riding Lear jets, and driving in riding in limousines, and the Rolex watches and shoes cost him more than other people's houses. I mean, it would have made sense if he did make the jump to the WWF and became the Million Dollar Man, Ric Flair. You know, it would have made sense, and it wouldn't have been that far-fetched, you know. But it could have worked. Very easily it could have worked. A guy with a work ethic, the nature boy, Ric Flair. I mean, yeah, it, it very well could have worked. Very well. You still with me, boss man? Yeah, I'll wait for you to uh, ask me a question. So, with that being said, yeah, Rick Flair, the Rick Flair <laughs> made a very good choice. Yeah, I left an opening for you to speak, and it was nothing but crickets in the background. I'm like, okay, maybe I lost it. Uh, I but, tried uh, to speak. No, no, I tried to speak. You said, oh, hold on, hold on. Like, okay, all right, I'll hold. Yeah, you can tell we haven't been at this game for a while. <laughs> uh, 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 uh. Oh, well, the gimmick you want to talk about, you think I got over before we go into Spartacus? Well, hell, we let's go ahead and bring in Ted DiBiase since we didn't, uh, we just touched on it. But yeah, Ted DiBiase um, was in the runnings to be the next NWA champion, or at least that, that's that's the rumor, you know, and. Um, he took a gamble by signing with Vince. And like you said earlier, 
that he wasn't even getting told what he was going to be doing in the WWF. He was signing the contract. Other than, Vince, other, than Vince, other than Vince had big plans. But he didn't want Vince to not let out his idea that he had and fear someone could steal it. So he, he just he needed Ted to sign it first. The only thing like like Pat Patterson would tell him, if Vince say he has an idea, he wants he's gonna put all his resources into it, really trying to encourage Ted to sign. But that was a big game. I'm sure I knew what you were gonna be making with the the competition. You already knew you're gonna be the next NWA world champion, you know. I mean it was a big game. But I think Ted did a good financial that he was going to be taking less money signing with the WWF, but it was a gamble. I don't know but if it was less money or not. I don't think it was less money or not. That part, I'm not sure. But there's also rumors going around that we've all watched the Vince McMahon DVD back in the early 2000s. And um, pretty much that million-dollar gimmick would have been Vince McMahon gimmick if Vince would have been an active competitor and would have got into the wrestling business that would have been his gimmick the million dollar man so that was another reason why he said he was going to try to pour all his resources into that gimmick for Ted DiBiase because he wanted to see how his gimmick would have flourished and how it would have worked and Ted DiBiase was a very good workhorse very, very good at being able to tell stories. Very, uh, very good at, you know, drawing a crowd in. And it just worked. And, hey, <laughs> there's a lot of times, hey, I don't even know if the Million Dollar Man knew exactly how much money he was actually making. Because Vince was making sure he always had first-class seats, was always riding in the limousine, dining at the finer facilities when he was out and about being the Million Dollar Man. Things that he wouldn't probably normally do, yeah. But he was doing because back then he was keeping an image up of what the Million Dollar Man would be doing. Also, keep this in mind that you know there, there were a lot of rumors about the his costume issue with the boys. You know, because he gets to fly first class, he gets limousines, and he stayed at our big hotels and always meals, always paid for. Vince always made sure he had like two to four grand in his pocket at all times. And then, you know, if he ever had to pick up a check, send the check to Titan, and Titan would cover it. And, you know, wherever Bill was in at Titan, Titan would get reimbursed and make sure he always had some type of cash coming along because, you know, he's a million dollar man. He has to live that top million dollar life. And, you know, and then, what do you? Mm-hmm. Hey, what were your thoughts of? What were your true thoughts of the million dollar bill? Because you know, obviously, he did not become the World Wrestling Federation champion. They were grooming him. Granted, he held it for what thirty seconds, you know, or yeah, however long it was. To, to, you know, whatever home that. You know, at, at, and then because you know, honky tonk man would tell. I can't wait to talk about this. Honky tonk man would tell a story. That he refused to drop the Intercontinental title to the Macho Man, and that's why Macho Man got the world title. Because supposedly Ted DiBiase was supposed to be the one to win the tournament at WrestleMania, and by Honky refusing to do that, it flip flopped the storyline. Which first Pritchard always said, "That's just total BS lie. That's not true." But, you know, that's up for you know people out there to interpret and believe what they want to believe. I know what we'll happened to that later on. You know, but um, but what if though? I mean, you think the million dollar man would have paid it off as a heel World Wrestling Federation champion? You think he could have had it? You know, because they're trying to say that 
well, gosh, then I was promised the end of the world bill. I found out about when the world building. If this is all, don't worry about it, Ted. I'm going to make you my million-dollar world champion. We're going to make the million-dollar bill. Solid gold with diamonds and, you know. So I guess my real question is for you. What are your thoughts of the million-dollar belt? The belt was definitely unique. I mean, very bright and shiny. Uh, you know, thinking as a kid, you know, of course, you know, being the business the way it was and how we were as kids, he made that belt because so, he couldn't win the world title. He couldn't win the championship. That's why he made a belt and put it on himself. You know, that, that kind of rationality. But in hindsight, that was very, you can tell that was a very expensive belt. Because if I remember correctly, it's supposed to have been 24 karat gold. And the and that cubic zirconia, but those are supposed to be diamonds. In that, um, in the uh, dollar signs that was on that belt, and it was dollars. The whole thing was pretty much nothing but dollar signs. And um, the belt itself was beautiful. It's just it, it was very unique compared to the Intercontinental, and the World Wrestling Federation, and the tag team titles at the time. You know, I mean, it's something different, and it's something that Ted DiBiase really didn't defend a whole hell of a lot. <laughs> and then, yeah, I'm going to use what Ryan Wright Piper said. I'm going I'm to use what Ryan Wright Piper said about the Big Dark Man to be another belt. You know, you know Big Dark Man had to have a special uh, cleaning around his stomach because, you know, his waist turned solid green. Because Piper said it was, fake, it was a fake gold belt, you know, so his waist was solid green. So he had to use kind of chemical and bleach his stomach every time he put the belt around his face. So, you know, <laughs> Piper said that belt was all fake. 24 fake gold plated thing. <laughs> <laughs> That's funny. <laughs> uh, I don't know. I don't know. Well, I tell you one thing, though. Speaking of the million-dollar belt, you know, there were a couple of times when the million-dollar belt was on the line, two occasions in particular, WrestleMania six, when Ted Biasi was in a very, very big angle with Jake the Snake Roberts. And Jake Roberts, you know, what a promo he cut going in the ring with the million-dollar man. You know, and had a great matchup with uh, Ted Biasi. But million-dollar man was able to Hold on to his million dollar belt. Who would have thought the bodyguard Ted DiBiase had Virgil? Virgil. Wow. You know, it's supposed to be another rib toward Dusty Rose. And believe it or not, probably the brain he didn't create that name. Uh, came up with that for, uh, for that guy to become Virgil. And, and late, years later, he would come to Tennessee Tubby. He probably says, Well, why don't we call him Vince? I'm Vincent. You know, is it? As a as a rib to McMahon, you know. <laughs> oh man, I feel bad for that guy. But I tell you one thing though, the match they have with the Million Dollar Bell at SummerSlam 1991, what a back and forth battle! You know, it was a tremendous matchup. That's one of my favorite matches actually during that era of wrestling. You know, when Virgil won the match and defeated Ted DiBiase and lost his Golden Diamonds. Wow, it was. Uh, what a huge crowd pop that was in Madison Square Garden that night. But it didn't take DBS alone. He did redeem the main dollar bill at the Survivor Series Showdown in 1990. Birds put the belt in line and the main dollar man, you know, won the belt back with the, uh, with the help of the repo man. <laughs> Again, oh, another yeah. gimmick they changed up. Yeah. Yeah, they changed up to Militia Smash and made the repo man. 
<laughs> yeah, that's the night Repo Man made his debut, actually. He repossessed the belt. <laughs> there you go. You know, I would say Nash is on the yeah, belt, but uh, the IRS wasn't in that angle. <laughs> I know, right? I know, right? Oh, Lord have mercy. Well, what other gimmicks you got in mind that was uh, that Vince created? Was he successful or did it did not work at all? Well, I'd have to throw, as I just said his name, I think Erwin R. Scheister, IRS, because NWA was somewhat successful, is Mike Rotundo. You know, um, and he came yeah, over the Boston Club. Yep. And became Erwin R. Scheister, also known as IRS. I mean, he, he went on even with um, Ted DiBiase to win the World Wrestling Federation Tag Team Championships. Yeah, Money Incorporated, that was an interesting uh, interesting team. You know, me personally, if I'm going to play Devil's Activate, uh, that would have been a good opportunity to make Ted DiBiase a baby face. Let me tell you the reason why. What does the IRS do? They want to come after your money, right? Because you got to pay your taxes. But what if the million dollar man was behind all taxes? What if the IRS went out there and attacked DiBiase, try to hurt him, and try to repossess some of his money? You tax cheat, you've been cheating your tax for years, million dollar man. You ain't the million dollar man no more. You owe the IRS all this money. I'm going to bankrupt you. I'm going to repossess everything. And I think that would be a cool way for it. Tend to be asked to become a babyface, you know. I mean, I think that could have worked because think about IRS. That's what they do. They go after people not paying their taxes. And how many millionaires, you know, had to file bankruptcy because IRS finally came and collect and took half their fortune because <laughs> the IRS did it. They didn't pay their IRS and, and then guys like Hogan and Flair and Tyson and and all these guys. You can go look it up yourself. All these things. Burt Reynolds. You know, like who, who, who tried to get away for years without paying their taxes, and all of a sudden, IRS could knock on their door. You know, I'm like, Hope, see, good thing for Hogan and Flair, they're a good friends with Vince Man. Vince Man would just write off a check and help them out, whatever. Yeah, but some celebrities, like even Wesley Snipes, didn't have that luxury. <laughs> they wanted their money. So I think that would have been a very cool uh, idea if they had done that. But instead, they did the exact opposite, made Main Dot Man and IRS team up. Speaking of IRS, man, did you ever hear a rumor that there was talks of Undertaker and IRS being a tag team because there's two things certain in life death and taxes, <laughs> and that would have been called that, death would and taxes. Been, that would have been interesting. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> only two absolutes in life death and taxes. <laughs> <laughs> that would be funny to watch. <laughs> Yeah, IRS, I think he had a pretty, uh, I think he had more successful run in WS as far as a heel worker. I mean, you know, him and uh, Dr. Def Williams down the NWA Varsity Club, along with Kevin Sullivan and Rick Snyder, I mean, they had a pretty uh, interesting group. I mean, he was a very, very well respected athlete in the amateur ring. He could handle himself pretty well. And, you know, um, and he was a television champion, you know, uh, had an interesting matchup with Sting. Thing first one, his first thing was title. He beat Mike Rotunda, but it just seemed like after that, you know, the varsity club disbanded Mike Rotunda. They, they tried to make him the Michael Wall Street, wasn't quite, in my opinion, working. Jump ship to the WF and being Erwin R. Scheister. I really thought he got the gimmick over. I mean, unlike Jeff Jerry, I didn't really care for him during the time, but like IRS, he had that kind of heat where, yeah, you want to see someone beat him up, you know, he just. 
talk about a guy who's just cocky and thinks he's better than everybody else. I, I don't know. Just the kind of gimmick he had, man. I I, uh, I enjoyed seeing the matches he had with Fraser Ramon. I'll, I'll say that there. They had a tremendous feud, you know. But um, yeah, IRS. He was he was interesting, you know. Good heel gimmick. I, 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 that would be a good legacy for her. Erwin R. Steister, a good heel gimmick. Mm-hmm. But again, at the same time, we're talking about instinct man coming up with these outrageous gimmicks. But if, if you're a good athlete, I think you can get it over. If, you're, if you know how to, you know, sell the character, I think it's what we're talking about here. You know, you said it earlier about guys going in Vince's office, and then Vince will pump these guys. Up. Oh, come on, Vince! I don't be a freaking in a suit and a tie. What are you? What are you trying to do to me here? I'm Michael Tunda. Oh, come on. You forget that Rotunda crap. You know, taxes. You're attacking the tax sheets of America. You're going to do this. You're going to do that. You're going to hear that. You're going to punish them. It's going to get heaped if people hate paying taxes. That's one thing about from this country. It's keep the federal government and people like me rich. <laughs> you're the IRS. You know, you're everyone's enemy. Hey, what bought now Al Capone? <laughs> The IRS, you know what I mean? Everybody hates the IRS, you know. <laughs> so yes, yeah, so actually everybody's gonna hate you. And it worked and it was right. Everybody hates the IRS. <laughs> oh. Ladies and gentlemen, that I take care of it for Polka dots, and we've been told that we've got a break for commercials right here on TNB Studios, so stay tuned. Hello, Internet. It's Chris Dickens, and have you ever considered going to a restaurant but wasn't sure about their food quality, their atmosphere, and their ease of access? Well, let me take the stress out of that by offering you the chance to listen to the newest podcast on TNB Studios called The Bite. On the bite, yours truly goes to these restaurants in and around the nation and lets you know from my own first-hand experience about their food quality, their atmosphere, and their location's ease of access. And then you, the consumer, can make the decision on your own account listening for this podcast if the place is worth your time and your money. All you have to do is just tune in for brand new episodes of The Bite. It's worth the time, worth the patience, and ultimately... Worth your sanity. Check out the bite on TMB Studios. Be sure to check out all the other great podcasts as well as past episodes of this podcast right here exclusively on TMB Studios. We're back. We're going to head off into the third phase of our show, which is we're going to talk about Spartacus. And I know. There was really, there was truly no Spartacus, but at the same time, if you're able to watch the Ric Flair DVDs and stuff like that, you heard of the story from Ric Flair and the reason why he, one of the reasons why, and probably the major contributors why he left uh, the NWA slash World Championship uh, Wrestling. Yeah, I, it, it's, it's funny that you, you know, you mentioned how there wasn't no Spartacus. I, I, I um, they still called him Ric Flair, but, you know, they got him to cut his hair, put it in ring, and they changed his entrance theme, and this had some kind of gladiator theme. So they almost, they practically did change him to Spartacus without 
calling him Spartacus Ric Flair and they didn't give him a shit gladiator shield. They just changed his music to a gladiator theme. And I'm talking about 1991, folks. Go back and watch the match he had with Fujinami as Super Brawl. You'll hear it then, you know. Uh, and a couple other house shows and does the robot during that time frame in nineteen in the spring of nineteen ninety one. You know, and, and at the time uh it was Jim Hurd who was the executive vice president, you know, in my opinion, paid too much attention to what Vince McMahon was doing. And then I'm not trying to say you shouldn't pay attention to the competition, but I think you gotta understand something here. Don't try to copy what the competition is doing. Try to be something different. Give the audience something different to look at. To me, that was always the big thing between the WWF and the NWA. Yeah, you saw some colorful characters and they knew how to market. You know, they had some interesting storylines for the WWF. But the NWA, man, they were selling wrestling. You were seeing actual competitive matches. And the storyline, the angles, the matches were all different. So when you're trying to worry about what, the, what Vince was doing, you're trying to copycat him, and then you know because Vince had the Barbarian, okay, the Warlord, you know, he's coming up with El Matador, right? Um, some interesting, crazy gimmicks. Elvis person there's like the honky tonk man. He had the Birdman, Coco Beware, you know. So Jim Hurd's like, well, God, we got to be more like Vince, you know. We got to, we got to market to the kids, and we got to do all this stuff. And then I, I want to see a hunchback. So I want to see California cool dudes with skateboards, and that was a great merchandise. We can serve skateboards to the kids, and and they can pretend to all these little skateboard things. That's gonna work. We're gonna make money. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, and then what he wanted to do with with Ric Flair, you know. I tell you what we'll do. We'll, we'll cut Ric Flair's head. We'll put an air ring. Let's give him a shield. We'll make him a gladiator. He'll be Spartacus. Yeah, we'll call him Spartacus. You know, and I love how Kevin Sullivan says, yeah, when, when, when you do that, why don't we go down to Yankee Stadium and change Mickey Mantle's number two? You know? It's like, why do you want to change a legend like Ric Flair? Ah, dang it, Ric Flair too old. He's a has-been. No one cares about Ric Flair anymore. And I'm like, are you not paying attention to the ratings? Did you see the cop beauty he had with Bobby Eaton? One half of the Midnight Express, the rage went to the roof when you played out on WCW Saturday night and WCW made a bench. The Raiders went up there, okay? But no, you, you were, oh, we're on Champion Cave and beat Bobby Eaton. I mean, come on now. I mean, seriously, come on now. Bobby Eaton was a great worker, you know, great wrestler, had great matches. The fans liked it. Obviously, they did because they tuned in the very next night to watch the rematch on the main event. But Jim Hurd, for whatever reason, was not a big fan of Rick Flair. So he wanted to change the gimmick. He wanted to change Ric Flair. And then and, and some other gimmicks Jim Hurd wanted to just try to do that that was outrageous. I mean, you mentioned earlier, Jay, the the hunchbacks, right? I mean, it, 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 imagine you're in the boardroom and you've been in this business now, Jay, almost 20 years now, right? And you're hearing Jim Hurd describe an unbeatable tag team. Yeah, we're calling the hunchbacks, you see. They're unbeatable because they can't pin the shoulders in the match because they have the hunchbacks and everything. Yeah, yeah. They'll be young unbeatable teams. They could be the world tag team champions, and no one can ever beat them because you can't pin the shoulders on the mat. You know, and you, of course, being like Ole Anderson, yeah, okay, I'm going to slap a ankle lock on and make us submit. They're her. I just beat your unbeatable team. I mean, come on. You know, it was crazy, crazy giving some score back then. You know, why wouldn't you pay attention to what the ratings were and what the house shows were doing when Flair would perform? You know, go back to 1989 at the Sixth Class Champions with Rick Flair and Ricky Steamboat, man. You know, go back to Flair and Sting at the First Class of Champions. Man, the people were still all about Rick Flair. 
you know, you lost your confidence in Sting because you want to create the Black Scorpion, you know. Yeah, you want to create the superhero Sting and take out some super villain called the Black Scorpion. And it wasn't working, you know. Instead of having a great heel worker, why couldn't Sting work with someone like Barry Windham, you know. You know, resound the great Luda has Sting and Luda feed for the world title. Luda actually had Sting pinned for the TV title when we won his first single title. That would have been a great uh, run. But instead, you know, you just totally discredited Ric Flair. You wanted to create some stupid gladiator gimmick called Spartacus. You know, and it almost happened, man. Like I said, they changed Flair's music. They cut Flair's hair and they put an earring, you know, but Flair through the line. He would take the shield, and he wasn't going to call Spartacus, but they still tried to mess with Ric Flair's gimmick, and yeah, Flair left. <laughs> you know, I know it kind of ran my mouth there, man, but what you got to say? <laughs> oh, Pizza Hut, oh, Pizza Hut. Oh, man. <laughs> Pepperoni yeah, and sausage. Oh, Pizza Hut, oh, Pizza Hut. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I joke about that, yeah, but it, before he was a Pizza Hut exec, he was in the wrestling business, but that's still a joke I like to use. Is he came from a Pizza Hut and then came back came back into wrestling from Pizza Hut. But <laughs> but you know, there's also that type of where he'd see guys like, you know, going back to watching the competition, he'd see WWF their their champion like just coming back and destroying his competition and winning in a big way. Whereas, you know, their champion, Ric Flair would either barely survive the time limit or just barely eke out a win or just cause a draw. So yeah, technically he didn't win and didn't lose, but he was still the champion. But that's why he's like, Oh man, our champion is weak. You know, and that that's another reason why because that's another reason why he didn't like Ric Flair. You know, but Ric Flair, you know, because he got Hulk Hogan on NBC, top of leg, top of leg drop, one, two, three, Hogan pose, Hogan pose, and all around Teddy Ric Flair came to beat Bobby. That's what's going through his mindset up here. You know, right? So the man doesn't understand was, psychology. Yeah, because Ric Flair was building up people that could possibly take the championship. And not only that, but you get the gauge to see what the fans want. Yeah, I mean, Ric Flair was the heel. He was having some great matches, and you would see what kind of babyface could go after him and give him a run to be the, possibly the next champion to beat Ric Flair for it, um, based on how the fans react and how the work ethics are and whatever else. You know, it was a different animal back then. And Jim Hurd, like you said, too busy paying attention to the competition, wanted to change all that, wanted Ric Flair to become the Spartacus gladiator guy to start mowing over people. And Ric Flair didn't care for that. Yeah, he shaved his head. Yeah, he put an earring in. He just wasn't feeling it. And at this point, he became decided to pick up his ball and go home. And there was a dispute yeah, over him and the NWA championship. <laughs> well, because yeah, they are changed the name the WCW. The NWA kind of went their own things. And so, I mean, you know, heard one of the belt bags as well. I want 25,000 plus interest in, 
you know, Perry from Steve's a dude to Perry go screw himself. And it's fine. Perry took the belt, took the belt right to Vince. I was a brain. On prime time wrestling. Watch that guy with the NWA world belt, you know. The real world champion, Ric Flair, you know. <laughs> so we got to talk about this, though. But we got we we got to talk about this too as far as Spartacus. You know, Jim Herb was one to call him Spartacus. When that didn't work, when Flair takes the belt and he comes to the WWF, Vince McMahon allowed him to be Ric Flair. He didn't want to put him in polka dots like Dusty Rhodes. He didn't put a crown on like he did the Harley Race. It got him to be Ric Flair, the real world champion. Now, honestly, okay, think about that for a moment here. How many guys you would see before and after would leave the competition, come there, and then tries to water them down and change them up completely? Rick Flair is the only guy he didn't do that to. Even Bret Hart had something to say, but Bret Hart says in his book that, like, when Rick Flair dominated the 1992 Royal Rumble, Bret said, that's a mistake. You're, you're giving too much credit to Flair. People are going to be thinking that the NWA and the Devil's guys be more tougher, superior to our talent. That ain't right. I, I, come on, Bret, seriously? Um, I, I mean, uh, geez, it's Rick Flair. Rick Flair had beyond paid his dues in this business. Not that other guys had paid their dues, but I'm just like, Flair was still over at Rick Flair. You didn't need to change this game. There's an old, there's an old, there's an old saying, Jay. If it's not broke, don't fix it. If it's still selling out, it's still making money. You know, Rick Flair was still over. And the fact that Bobby Brain he didn't show up with the world belt and present the real world champion, Rick Flair, and he had a competition with Hulk Hogan. <laughs> Like I said, man, it was it was, it was amazing, you know, one hell of a that, point. That was beautiful. Was a, yeah, um, I, I remember the first time on primetime wrestling when it protected Bobby the Brain Heenan, and he was holding that big, beautiful gold belt, the NWA World Championship, and starts like, "Here soon, the real world champion will be coming." to the World Wrestling Federation. And, of course, I knew who that was. You knew who that was. And I think a good bit of people that watch wrestling in general knew who that was. Definitely. You know, maybe, maybe, maybe a small fraction might have only been watching WWF and be like, well, who's this? You know, but a good bit of your wrestling fan base watched both would watch any time wrestling would come on, whether if it was NWA, WWF, AWA, Mid-South, don't matter. They were watching wrestling. And um, seeing that and seeing Ric Flair come out with his robe, being Nature Boy Ric Flair, and being that guy that Vince didn't let anybody else do, like you said, he changed Dusty Rhodes. He changed... um, Terry Taylor, he changed his name, Charlie Race, but uh, and changed uh, Bubba Rogers to the big boss man, but changed one man game tag, came the African dream, but didn't do anything. <laughs> yeah. Let Rick Flair be Rick I mean, that speaks volumes. That means Vince McMahon, in my eyes, at that time period, was a huge Rick Flair fan. I think he was. I think he respected Red Flair, and he was, you know. Uh, I, hey, well, what can you say? 
So, and we know how successful Ric Flair's run was in the early nineties. He won the he won the World Wrestling Federation in a Royal Rumble championship in a Royal Rumble, and he uh, was able to get it again. So he was a two-time World Wrestling Federation champion by the time he left World Wrestling Federation. Yes, and, he defeated uh, the Macho Man, became the title, didn't turn and put Brett the Hitman Hart over. You know, I mean, personally, I'm glad Bret Hart defeated Ric Flair. Don't get me wrong, but you know, it happened on the house show in Saskatoon in Canada. You know, appreciate all that, but I really wish the Hitman could have had a good match with the Macho Man. I know the Macho Man was having some personal issues, and Macho Man kind of lost his confidence in the Macho Man as far as in ring ability. You know, I really felt like they could have had a great match and get drawn some money. I haven't changed the subject here, but he's got me thinking about it, though. Ric Flair talked about the, about the Hitman. I really would love to see Bret and have a good match with the Macho Man, but hey, it just didn't happen at WWF. Well, it's not, it's not 1992, 1993 time frame. But you know, Ric Flair left, came back to WCW. Jim Hurd was fired, kicked out, gone. Came back in the time frame, but Bill Watts, and uh, like I said, was recently let go. And then uh, Eric Bischoff takes in command. And again, even Bischoff at that time did not change the Ric Flair gimmick, and Ric Flair still went on to become a 10 and 11 time world champion in 1993. You know, so at that point in his career, Ric Flair was the man. No denying that. But let's talk about another gimmick that he tried to do. I mean, I know you're a fan of him. I know we're, we're talking during the commercial break, but let's talk about him anyways. Because the books would tell you something different. Because I, I like the man, too. We're talking about fans. We're talking about Tom Zink, the Zink man. You know, he was Rick Martell's tag team partner. They're the Kenny Connection. Look at them at WrestleMania 3. They wrestled there. You know, but he was having some money. Just he went out of his contract. He didn't like working out those dates. And then he thought he'd make more money and, and become a world champion. He wanted to be, as Bruce Mitchell would say, a big fish in a little pond. That's what he referred to. So they came up with a gimmick called the Z Man, you know. So they they he had like a thirty five win streak, you know, and he then he had some good matches with beautiful Bobby Eaton and uh, Arn Anderson for the TV title, I might add. But he was not getting over, man. I know he, I know you were a fan of him. I was a fan of him too, but he was not getting over, you know. And then admittedly, they took the belt right off of him because supposedly, according to Arn Anderson. You know, man didn't want to work. He, he didn't want to have long, good matches. He didn't want to have, you know, I don't know. He didn't like to travel. He didn't, I don't know. And he just, you know, it's a classic cake for judge a book by its covers because you had to look to a certain you in shape. doesn't mean you have the heart, the passion, the drive. And I, I, I don't get it. You can have, you can have everything, you know, the looks, the charisma, you know, a good opportunity. But if you don't have the heart, the drive, you're not going to make it. And I think it's a classic case with the Z-Man here, but again, they try to come up with a funny gimmick, you know, the Z-Man, but, you know, what, what are your thoughts on Tom Zink? I'll honestly, that's another Jim Hurd's creation, the Z-Man. Let's see. I think I liked him best when he was teaming up with Flying Brian Pillman. You know, Z-Man did have some okay matches. I like the Z-Man. Of course, you know, I'm, I'm, I love all the faces growing up. You know, but, you know, my favorite time with Z-Man was when he was teamed up with Flying Brian Pillman because I was a Flying Brian Pillman fan and figured, well, maybe, you know, 
they probably thought, well, maybe the fans will start rubbing off on the Z Man being teamed up with Brian Brian Pillman because he did have Pillman did have a following, and just didn't quite work out. But like you said, we didn't see behind the scenes. We only see what was presented in front of us on camera, and uh, so you had. You know, all the stuff going on in the back where the guy didn't want to work all that time, didn't want to do things. And and in my opinion, and this goes back to being a wrestler, a, a former ourselves, that if you're not willing to put in the time and the dates, then why do you have these big aspirations of being the, the man, being the champion? You know, why do you want to go through all that when you know you've got to try? <laughs> Go ahead, I'm sorry, Jay. Anyway, knowing that you have to travel and, and put in all these dates, you become the champion. And you want it's almost like you go want something for nothing. You don't want to have the end result. And hey, if they can't even count on you to be the television champion, you can't get you're not going to be world champion caliber material because, I mean, you had some pretty big shoes to live up to with guys like Dusty Rhodes, the American Dream, and Rick Flair, only 60 oh, minute yeah. matches all over the country, sometimes twice on Sunday on the same day. You know, that that's not a cliche. That actually happened, you know, where you were every night and twice on Sunday. You know, and that was the truth. So you wound up working eight day, eight times in a seven day period. You know, and putting in sixty minute matches, what they call sixty minute Broadway. So you would full wrestle the full hour to a no a time limit draw every night. And you want to be the champion. That's what you got to be willing to do. And he wasn't willing to put in the work for a TV title, which we all know TV time limit at that point in time for the TV title was ten minutes. 10 to 15, yeah, it depends. So, so if you're not willing to work for 10 minutes, you're not going to be willing to work for 60 minutes. What do you think? Who, 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 yeah. who? Yeah. See, man, what he was, you know? <laughs> I mean, seriously. He's what we call the, the, the phony tough, you know? Mm-hmm. He wasn't a crazy brave, you know? But, um... I'm trying to think, man. What do you think some other kind of crazy gimmicks Jim Hurd tried to push down and, and they tried it, it didn't work? I mean, what do you think of Kevin Nash's gimmick during that time? Oz. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> oh goodness. I, I didn't you know. care for him the first time. I seen him like, who the heck is this guy, Oz? And you I see know. him coming up with this big, weird-looking hat. Big old yeah. bush beard and mustache, only to take the whole thing off. And he has short blonde, ha- bleached blonde hair. And I'm like, yeah. what? Yeah, what? I know, right? You know? <laughs> then turn around a couple of months later, and he's now Vinny Vegas. Vinny Vegas. Yeah, during the Bill Watts era. <laughs> Which I thought Vinny Vegas was... Uh, Kind of interesting gimmick. I was, you know, um, hey, hey, I know I mentioned this guy's name earlier, Dolph. I want your opinion, and I'd like to say this real quick before you do. You know, granted, I, looking back, obviously it was a disastrous. But as a kid, you know, I was intrigued. You know, 
who is the black scorpion? Every time you see Sting wrestle, don't play the black music voice, and you're scared, you're terrified for Sting, and who is the black scorpion? Yada, yada, yada. You know, I, I thought it was kind of cool. Granted, it didn't execute in the end perfectly. You know, they had to do what they had to do. But it was, again, another one of Jim Hurd's and Ole Anderson's idea to try to create some kind of supernatural gimmick for Sting, and it just didn't work uh, financially. But what were your thoughts to the whole Black Scorpion angle? As a kid, boy, I ate it up. You know, it was a big reveal on who is truly the Black Scorpion. Who is this guy? And, of course, you know, you find out later when, when the mask gets pulled off that it was the nature boy to Ric Flair. But at but the it wasn't time, supposed to be Ric Flair. There but... was a rumor that it wasn't supposed to be Ric Flair. It was supposed to be somebody else, but that guy wound up falling through, and they just put Ric Flair under the mask to yeah. continue it. And they even said it could have been Barry Wyndham, you know. Wyndham would have been a good choice. They could have had a good matchup with Sting, but they didn't. They decided to go with Flair, and then, and then I, I, I even um, you know, the guy named was Perez, who's a guy from Mexico, but he thought he was going to win the belt. When he found out he wasn't going to win the belt, he wasn't no part of it, you know what I mean? Uh, I mean, uh, it sucked. You know, I thought it could have been a great Muda. Uh, that would have been a good uh, good person, the Black Scorpion to be, the great Muda, but that didn't work either. But you know, Muda listened to other people and Muda went back to Japan, you know. Um, but, you know, we mentioned the great Muda. I know he wasn't a Jim Hurd creation, but when the great Muda was around, you know, another good gimmick. But do you realize, do you know? You know, at the time when Muda was in the NWA slash WCW, that there was talks of putting the NWA World Belt on the Great Buddha, but Jim Hurd was says, "Oh no, he's Japan. Remember Pearl Harbor? We can't have a Japan guy as our world champion." So this is 1989, 1990, obviously 34 years since Pearl Harbor. But what what are your thoughts, man, on that scenario? That I think Great Muda would have been a hell of a champion. You I think know he would have I mean? been too. I mean, even as a kid, okay, oh, he was a heel, he was a bad guy, I wasn't just a cheer for him, but dang, that's so called what do you call him? Um when you're doing freaking flips. Sorry, I'm not in the circus, I'm not judging us on the flipping flat planes. Yeah, but when but when he started doing those kind of those kind of those cartwheels, he does he does those cartwheels that ends with a back of the neck. Boom! I saw him do that. The legs flew through the match. I was impressed. I'm like, whoa, that looked pretty darn cool. And Moonaker has some great matches, man. He had some great matches with Sting and Flair and Luger at the time frame. I really went and and with and with, uh, with R. Anderson. Great Muda has some great matches with Arn Anderson, too, I might add. And Muda was a good TV champion. I want, I want to throw that out there as well. The great Muda was not only a damn good wrestler that knew how to tell a story, but he had a damn good gimmick to go with it. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And it's it, a crying shame that when the night Sting got kicked out of the horseman, that was Muda's last night because they didn't resign him and he ended up going back to Japan. But could you imagine? You know, if Muda had stayed, you know, I think I think that could have stayed Sting's title run. I think they could have done some good business for the world title. You know, almost the way Warrior and Root did. Because A, nine, there are a few for the Intercontinental. Then 90 for the world. Same thing would have happened with Sting and Muda. I really think they could have done some good business. You know, 
I mean, seriously, I really believed it. But it just didn't happen, man. You know? just didn't happen. Uh, uh, well, <laughs> oh, man. Oh, we, we oh, 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 oh. Speaking, speaking of Jim Hurd, I got, I got a taste of it before I forget. We're, we're still in the Spartacus angle. Okay, now, Jim Hurd wants to pay attention to Vince McMahon. They're doing, you know, Vince McMahon had already created the Twin Towers, right? With... You know, late 88 with the boss man and Akeem, right? Well, you got the boss man and Akeem. We could do better than Twin Towers. We got Sid Vicious. We got Dan Spivey. We'll call them the skyscrapers. That's how the skyscrapers were born. Another Tim Hurd brainchild idea. <laughs> but what were your thoughts on the skyscrapers, man? <laughs> I think oh, they worked man. out good the one during softball season. They're dead out of me. Dangerous Dan Spivey. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He, 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 was, he was tough, a legitimate tough guy. Uh, you know, <laughs> uh, they had, it, it could have been a very powerful gimmick. It could have been a very, very powerful tag team. They could have been a force to recommend. They could have been, definitely could have been compared to the process of destruction uh, 10 years after that. But uh, Spotty with some other injuries and outside interests and not trusting Jim Hurd, out the door he left. You know, that's just sad. Skyscrapers could have been something. You know. Could have been. That could have been one thing that could have worked. You know, but we'll never know. And, yeah, we'll uh, never know. But we're going to go back on to the whole, speaking of flippity flops, you know, we're going to talk about the flippity flops gimmicks here. Where. Okay. The next one we're going to talk about, you know, came in and got introduced to the World Wrestling Federation as Demolition Smash. Mm-hmm. When the tag team fell apart, and you touched on it a little earlier, where he came back in to repossess, repo the million dollar championship belt, talking about the repo man. Really, to me, right. didn't really get over it. it wasn't well packaged. He had a laugh that just was like nails on a chalkboard. And weird music. Repo, man. Repo, man. Repo, man. Hey, tell the truth, Jay. Tell the truth. Did you know at the time... The repo man was Demolition Smash, Harry Darcel. Not at the time. Not at the time. I didn't put two and two together until after the fact. Because I think my dad... Many years after the fact. I look at the repo man. That ain't smash. He's too small to be smashed, you know? And I didn't didn't believe it. Yeah. But, uh, freaking... The tattoo gave it away. My dad kept pointing it out. I said, that's Smash. I'm like, no, it ain't. It can't be Smash. <laughs> smash is a powerhouse. Reaper means a little per- tweak piece. A little twerk, you know? And they, that, mm-hmm. ain't, that ain't Smash. They, they could have the same tattoos. That don't mean nothing. He looks so much smaller than Smash, you know? It's lost weight. I don't know. Yeah, I sure think he lost. He couldn't. Hey, he sure enough, that was some Melissa's. Huh? Yeah, it's like he quit going to the gym. <laughs> oh, maybe he stopped eating hamburgers. I don't know. Maybe, maybe, yeah, I don't know. Maybe 
butter on Whopper instead of holding burgers and bread. Stephen wasn't that, ready, so I don't know, man. After, after that debacle, you know, he leaves World Wrestling Federation and he goes to WCW World Championship Wrestling. Yeah. But not a smash of demolition. No. Not even his repo, man. No. Hey, I got it. You're going to be a trucker. We're going to call you the black top bully. Well, you know, they could have done something with it, but unfortunately, I think it was kind of beyond his control, and the promotion at the time had some real strict uh, going color, going blood policy, which I don't understand it. You advertise a pay-per-view called Uncensored, right? You said there's no rules. It's unsanctioned. Anything can happen. Well, during this trucker matchup, well, both Dustin and Barso end up bleeding. They, they went to color. Once again, our policy. And both are, you know, I just, I don't know. I, I don't think the big top Billy gimmick didn't have a chance to, they didn't give it a good chance. It could have gotten over as a heel. Maybe he could have done it. I, I I don't know. I mean, you look at Bunkhouse Bunk, you know, and he was from the uh, Smoky Mountain Russell territory, and and, and uh, you know, Bunk was a tough guy. I think he got that gimmick over as a you know tough man, legit. I mean, my opinion. I was watching wrestling a lot during 1994, 95 time frame. You know, so we don't know. I mean, he didn't he didn't last long, but unfortunately, things happen. You know. And I think that was it in his career as far as um, on a bigger grand of stage, if you would. Garso, he stayed in the indie scene. I think he still works to this day as an indie worker. Did a lot of matches in Japan. I know that. But I, I don't know. Every now and then he'll show up as a repo mask on. But to me, he will always be known as Demolition Smash. Three-time World Wrestling Federation Tag Team Champions with Demolition Acts, and in my opinion, the best tag team in those days of the World Wrestling Federation. You know, they're a top draw, and I don't care what anyone says. Demolition, I think, say what you want to say, but Demolition was not a ripoff of the Road Warriors. I know some people are going to argue with me, but bad luck I do. If you look at the Warlord and the Barbarian, the Powers of Pain, to me, they look just like the Road Warriors, just a little bit different, but same kind of tile style, same kind of physique, even similar matches. To me, as a smash, like nothing like the Road Warriors. But they were compared because they were the tag team in the WWF and the Road Warriors the tag team in the NWA. Natural main events anywhere in the country, but that's no story for another day, and I can't wait to dive into that one. Mm-hmm. And I think to this day, like you said, Axe and Smash are still getting bookings as demolition, Axe and Smash. Yeah. Well, you know, now we're talking about Axe and Smash. I know it's another long debate, but I'm just kind of curious in your opinion. You know, Demolition, like a few other people, like Rick Martell, like Earl Hefner, have no desire to be in the WWF Hall of Fame, even Smash and X. For whatever personal reasons they've had falling out of events, have no desires. And Smash says, well, the only way I do it is they paid me $100,000. Like, whoa, whoa. After I heard events only pays with five grand, being inducted into the Hall of Fame, and then you want a hundred? Nah, I don't think demolition is going to be inducted in. At least maybe when they pass away, then they might try to induct them in. Who knows? But uh, that's just sad, though, personally. About action smash, but the, I don't know what happened behind the scenes. We'll never know. But I'm just kind of curious, man. What are your thoughts on that? 
Well, I don't know exactly what all comes with the Hall of Fame, but I know with some, like you said, they only get paid like $5,000 to be put into the Hall of Fame. But yeah. some of them, well, they did what they call a legends contract for like a year or whatever it is, so they can't really go out and do anything competition-wise to earn money. Uh, they can, you know, I don't know what the rules are, but, you know, I think that they didn't want that or whatever else. I, I can't explain it. There's, a, there's some reasons that people have that uh, wrestlers have that they just don't want to be in the WWE Hall of Fame. Because it put, I guess it puts yeah. restrictions on something. But in my eyes, it, it, it's one of those that it, it would probably be a smart thing because they get inducted into the Hall of Fame. They'll start getting royalties because they're going to start selling merchandise again. You know, when stuff comes up because, hey, the Hall of Fame class, um, you've got your, you know, the possibility of them doing DVDs and stuff like that for you know, home video for demolition or whatever, whatever, whoever you were, you know, maybe put out the greatest matches, sell a couple of t-shirts and redo your action figures. Hey, that's royalties right there, man. You know, you're going to get paid. So I don't know. I don't know, but I know we've uh, touched on him earlier, but Terry Taylor. <laughs> the main event. We finally got it here. Didn't mean to jump the ship on you. It's finally here. <laughs> the, the, the main event. You never heard that in a minute. You never will again. In the main event. Congratulations, Rooster. You finally made a minute or something. Oh, my gosh. There's a rumor. The whole box of gimmicks. And I mean, Bruce Pritchard says on his podcast, it's full of shit. There is no such thing as a box of gimmicks. So let's be, let's entertain this, shall we? Can, can can you just see this? Oh, okay. Big old box of gimmicks on Vince McMahon's desk, and he pulls it out like Lethal Lottery, you know, like he's pulling out numbers. All right, mm-hmm. so here we go. We call, let's say, Kurt Hennings in line right before Terry Taylor. <laughs> Kurt Henning goes in. All right, pal, let's see who you're going to be. You're going to be Mr. Perfect. That'll fit you because you do everything perfect. Here, good job, kid. Go make it happen. All right. Send the next guy in. Hmm, Terry Taylor. Let's see what we got for you. <laughs> oh, this is a good one. <laughs> We're going to paint your head red right here. We're going to spike your hair. You are the red rooster. <laughs> Go get him, pal. You got you to gotta <laughs> hit your head, pal, like, like, like a cock. You go, because you're like, cock. Yeah, yeah. Cock a doo doo. <laughs> I love it. But, but, but what, what? Oh, you've done it. And he said a thing. Well, Kurt was before me. I could, I could have been, I could have been Mr. Perfect, Mr. Perfect Terry Taylor. Oh man, Chris oh, Ross would say this. Oh, that was true. And if Kurt Henning had driven Red Rooster, Chris said, "Well, Kurt would have got it over. Kurt would have to give it go over for Taylor couldn't." <laughs> <laughs> you know. Oh. 
Hey, try to picture that, shall you? Shall we? You know, Kurt Henning with the red freaking thing up and him going around going, er, 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 and doing all the prances. Yeah. <laughs> what a thought. I uh, think you would have had a perfect though, record since the Red Rooster. <laughs> no, but I don't think, you know, God bless, I don't think Terry Taylor would have been Mr. Perfect. I don't think anybody else could have pulled that gimmick better than Kurt Henning did. And, uh, but see, with Kurt Henning, you already were taking him seriously, okay, and 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 AWA and stuff. Coming over to the World Wrestling Federation, when he became Mister Perfect, he was still a serious gimmick. He still had some kick-ass wrestling matches. I mean, the gimmick is that he does everything perfect, okay? That falls right into what he was doing anyway. He was a, a, a great wrestler. He was a, well, perfect, since we're going there, perfect wrestler, you know? So, I mean, it made sense. Terry Taylor, I bet you, I bet you a million dollars that he got in there, oh, I got to be Red Rooster. Screw this, man. I'm just going to do my contract and go home. Yeah, that's what happened. He wasn't trying to get it over. He just said, "Well, got to do my little song and dance." And as he walked down the ring, act like he's taking it the world. Well, I mean, Rooster really didn't really have any major major uh, wrestling angles. I mean, you know, he had uh, his moment of shine at WrestleMania with WrestleMania Five, and we're he had to wrestle Bobby the Brain Heaton because he wasn't a Heaton family. He couldn't be a winner. He kicked him out. So Rooster challenged him to a match, and then Bobby Heaton had the Brooklyn Brawler at ringside. As soon as, of course, Rooster won the match, and Brooklyn Brawler attacked him when it was over. Yeah, but that was it. Then I remember the next pay-per-view in 1989 where Rooster took on Mr. Perfect, and Kurt Henning just schooled Rooster all the way through until he got him in a perfect place. One, two, three, and then and then in uh, Survivor Series 89, Big Boss Man eliminated Terry Taylor with the Red Rooster. One, two, three. Um, so, I, I mean, yeah. It's a long, long, legitimate, you know. And it came to WCW, Chubby Terry Taylor, title won that TV title from Arn Anderson on several occasions. Couldn't quite do it. And the same went around and got it. I heard that caused some friction backstage. And then he, he decided to come heel and come Taylor, or Taylor made man on the computerized man in the nineties, and that wasn't getting over. But now, but you, but you know, no Terry Taylor became one of those guys behind the scenes, if you would, and you know. And let's talk about this right here. I know we're short on time, but you know, I think the only thing Terry Taylor that did in his career that made a lot of noise because it was behind the scenes, although it caused so much heat between the wrestlers. Even to this day, people talk about it. The whole the night where the NWO made fun of the horsemen of Arn Anderson's retirement, you know, and I know we're going to do an angle on that one. I won't give too much, but Terry, it was Terry Taylor's idea to do that, you know. It was Taylor's idea because, you know, he was, you know, from WCW to the WF, he became one of the creative guys behind the scenes, agents, if you would. I think he still works there to this day, you know. Um, 
It's just kind of funny to me, you know. He wasn't really that good as an in-ring performer, you know, although he did have a small run as the U.S. tag champion because that didn't last long. I didn't, you know, I don't know why I mentioned that. I even brought that up. But behind the scenes, I think he did work hard as a backstage agent. You know, I think he had more of a career behind the scenes. He did in front of the camera, you know. I mean, Taylor just, I don't know. I, I don't think it's kind of like kind of like talk. I don't think he had the heart and drive as end. You know, just my opinion. That's why he didn't get it over. I mean, I'm not trying, to, you know, shit on a man, but that's just my opinion. I don't think he had the heart and drive to get over as an end ring competitor. You know, and his matches show for that. You know, he got in the ring, did what he had to do, get out, went home, went over to the next town. I mean, you know. When he was getting out of his entering computer, Domino's Page was just starting, and Page excelled because Page had the drive. That's one of the differences. You know, he had the drive. Taylor just did not have the drive, in my opinion. That's my thoughts on it. He did not have the drive. No, no. But yeah, I think he can credit more stuff behind the scenes than he did in the ring. Um, which not necessarily saying that's a bad thing. I mean, some people are better at being backstage agents and, and talking to other people through storyline angles versus being in one themselves. I mean, I mean that's not downplaying anything. I mean, we need agents too to help out with wrestling backstage. And some people see it better and be able to describe it to everybody else better than they could ever be in it. And, you know, I, I mean, I give credit for Terry Taylor on that, but the Red Rooster thing, nope. I think that, that stigma followed back to the World Championship Wrestling when they tried to do the Taylor main man and, and, and Terrence Taylor and Terry Taylor just kind of stuck with him and followed him. It didn't really do anything for him. Any final thoughts, brother? Well, brother, we go with... up? Yep. Well, we, uh, I was we... going to say, final thoughts on uh, Polkadot and Spartacus. You know, the whole idea of it is to see what wrestling promoter can do as far as creating gimmicks and it's up to the wrestler if they can get it over. Some gimmicks were probably would have came off like a heart in church, but because the guys were good entertainers, good wrestlers, good performers, knew and they and they they had their psychology to get it over. Whereas some guys just looked at it as oh man, just whatever, just roll with the punches and just didn't get over, you know. And and then the whole thing with with, with, with Spartacus will show how stupid it is to try to ruin a man's career. Because you have a personal vendetta, you think about getting over, and did not pay attention how well and lovely respected, not only by the boys, but the wrestling community, the wrestling fans, if you would. And you're drawing, you know, if you're drawing, and people are still night after night buying a ticket, watching you on TV, this man's your champion. Why change that? Okay, I get it. You gotta help make stars. We're trying to make things. Then why try to mess with his gimmick? And you just gotta insult your audience, you know. I mean, when people try to say, well, how do you know? Maybe Sparkers could have got over. Well, let me, let me explain to you like this, though. You go back years later to the WWL. Let's talk about Prince Albert. Prince Albert was, a, was an established gimmick of the WWF. The fans liked him. 
You know what I'm saying? But then he would leave with Prince Albert, go back to Japan, rest there for a while. When he did that, Prince Albert was coming back to WWF. They kept him as Japanese giving. That was it called? What was it? Tazon? Whatever it was. The fans booed like crazy when cheering for the other guy. Huh? Or Tensai. Because you're insulted. Yeah, Tensai. And you insulted your audience. The audience knew who he really was. They didn't want to buy that gimmick. They didn't want him. And they didn't care how much of a badass he was. They were not buying it in the United States. And it kind of ruined his career in the States. And the man, I think, went back to Japan to try to work. You know, but this just goes to show you don't insult your audience. That's what Jim Hurd would have done. I think it would have been the death of Rick Flair's career. You know, if he had stayed and tried to go with it, I don't think Flair would have made it. Him going back to the WF got to be Rick Flair. And Vince McMahon showed the respect to the competitor and showed the respect Rick Flair had in the wrestling community. And Vince decided not to change it and allowed him to be Rick Flair. That just goes to show you how much respect Vince McMahon had for Nature Boy. I got to give you got to give him credit on that. That's my final thoughts on that. I'm done. <laughs> well, brother, next topic we got coming up down the pike is going to be something that we've been talking about for a while. Something that we've been looking forward to doing. So this is going to be an interesting topic. The next episode, episode three, is going to be Hot Rod or the Hot Scott. <laughs> yeah, well, I got to tell you what, man. I got a lot of Hot Rod stories. We're going to see if I'm going to get rude. I'm going to be the Hot Rod or the Hot Scott. I, I can't wait to talk about that. We're going to be talking about not only the legendary feud he had with Greg the Hammer Valentine and that dog collar matches. We're going to talk about the situation that went down with you, Ryan Piper and Mr. T and Ryan Piper and Hulk Hogan. We'll talk about the whole um, Ravishing Rick Rude, Bad News Brown incident. Let's talk about what happened when Piper came to the WCW and the feud he had with Hollywood Hogan. You know, And then, hell, we'll, we'll end it. Believe it or not, Chad, I don't know if you really know this or not. The last feud Piper had, and we can talk about what happened with the movie The Wrestler, you know, the whole angle between Piper and Jericho. And God, one of the most powerful emotional promos Piper said, man, made me cry. I know Jericho was trying to be healed. If you look at Jericho's face, I think even him shed some tears, you know, and we're going to talk about that. But, you know, the last feud Piper had in his life. Was believe it or not, was against your boy Stone Cold Steve Austin on a podcast. Granted, some things were said Austin didn't like, and supposedly Austin tried to get Piper kicked off the show. Piper has something to say. Piper, this particular show, starting a podcast on another network. Steve Austin, of course, tried to deny it, but you know, I, I encourage people to listen to it on YouTube. It's still on YouTube, and both guys kind of explain their perspective between Austin and Piper. Yeah, but it was kind of interesting a war of the words, if you would, behind the scenes of pro wrestling. But, you know, we're going to talk about that all. It's going to be all Roddy, Roddy, Roddy Piper. It's some of the outrageous and crazy stuff they did, and I can't wait to talk about the hot rod, or we might be just be talking about the hot sky. I'm looking forward to it. Well, ladies and gentlemen, for the Survivor Pain, Bill Blanchard, I am Christian Fury, and you have been listening to WLW. We love wrestling, and as always, stay tuned. To everything KMB Studios and everything wrestling. Oh yeah.